It was 26 years ago this month, June the 2nd, when Scott O'Grady was shot down by the Serbs over Bosnia. Here, one of our pilots, United States pilots, as he was uh, trapped, it says that he was flying so high it took 25 minutes for him to descend all the way to the ground in his parachute. And as soon as he hit the ground and, and the, the Serbs knew that they had hit him, they went looking for him. So he began to hide. He went into survival in evade mode. He, he tried to escape and, and, and stay hidden. And he did that successfully. Finally, around midnight on June the 8th, he was able to come into radio contact with another uh, fighter jet that was flying over from the U.S. and declared that Basher 5-2 was still alive and hiding. It took about six and a half hours, 6.35 a.m., and we had Marines on the ground and O'Grady took off after exploding a yellow uh, grenade so that they would be able to locate him, took off in a 25-yard sprint, hopped into the aircraft. Our folks were on the ground less than eight minutes, and they were gone. As we think about the life that we live, obviously we would not consider ourselves in such physical danger as Scott O'Grady. But the truth of the matter is, is that we are in a warfare and that we are not going to last a very long time by ourselves. We need others. One of the, the joys of, of being on a team, of being in a band, being in a choir group, uh, being in athletic competition is, is that together there is this camaraderie that is built and you begin to rely on each other and need each other and depend upon each other and move forward together. And can I tell you, that was true for the Apostle Paul. Maybe the greatest Christian the world has ever known, he knew that he was not going to be able to survive by himself he could not face the onslaughts of the evil one without a good team of partners. And so as we come to the end of the book of Colossians, Paul begins to call out some of his friends and partners in ministry with words of greeting, with words of appreciation. And so this week and next Sunday, I want us to focus on some of those characters from the end of the book of Colossians. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to slide down and look at a guy whose name is Epaphras. Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse number 12. Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 12. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal, a great concern for you and those who are in Laodicea and those 
in Hierapolis. And with that, let's pray. God, would you challenge us today in the area of prayer and in the area of partnership? Challenge us personally in the area of prayer that we would be like an Epaphras who would labor fervently. Challenge us in the area of partnership that we would be on mission with others for the cause of the gospel. In your name. Amen. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul uh, begins to to look and write to the church at Colossae. And in Colossians chapter 1, he mentions a figure named Epaphras. Epaphras most likely is the planter of the church in Colossae. He, He is one who was in the trenches. Probably he heard the gospel when he was a hundred miles to the west in the city of Ephesus. And in the city of Ephesus, after hearing the gospel, he probably took the gospel a hundred miles to the east and went to the city of Colossae, the city of Hierapolis, and the city of Laodicea in the Lycus Valley, all there not too far from each other, just a few miles apart. And he began to get excited about sharing the transforming power of Jesus with those who were lost, those who did not know Christ, those that that spiritually were separated from God. And as Paul writes in the church at Colossae, Epaphras has come to see him. And as Epaphras has come, he has shared with Paul that, hey, Paul, there's some concerns that I have about my church there, listening to some of this false teaching around here. And so in chapter one, Paul drives home the fact that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things in Colossians 1, 16 and following. And that in 1, 19, that, that Jesus is the reconciler. He is the only one that can bring man into a right relationship with God. And he moves into chapter 2 and tells us that in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, that Jesus is fully God. Epaphras has stood alongside of Paul. Philemon, verse number 23, tells us that Epaphras was a fellow prisoner with Paul. So we look at this man and we think, what a difference One man made. Ask a child what they want to be when they grow up. You often hear words like, man, I want to be the president. I want to be a CEO of a company. Most of them really think, I want to be a baseball player or a basketball player or a football player. Or I want to play music or I want to be able to act and dance I, I, I want to do these kinds of things. This, this is the, the kind of the heartbeat that, that often goes around. Most people don't say, when I grow up, I want to be a servant. And yet, as you see Epaphras coming alongside Paul as a partner in the gospel, that's exactly what we see. We've looked in uh, Colossians chapter 4, but notice back with me in Colossians chapter 1, and let's, let's get a picture of this guy named Epaphras. Notice with me in, in verse number 5, he, Paul talks about the hope that they have. And how do they have this hope? 
And how have they heard the truth of the gospel, the grace of God in truth, as it says in the end of verse number six? Notice, as you have also, verse number seven, chapter one, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Epaphras. I want us to look at three pictures that we see of Epaphras in, in chapter one and chapter four. First off, we, we see that Epaphras is a servant. He says he's a dear fellow servant. That just as Paul considered him a, the Greek word doulos, a bond servant, a slave to the work of Christ and the ministry of Christ and the will of Christ, willing to sacrifice his own desires and his own wishes and his own will to follow the Lord Jesus. This is exactly the word that he uses for Epaphras. He is a dear fellow servant who has said, look, I'm willing to lay all of my life down on the line as well so that I can say yes to Jesus in everything. A dear fellow servant. Notice what else he says in verse number seven. Our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister. Epaphras was a fellow servant and Epaphras was a faithful minister. Oftentimes today we think about ministers and, and, and we think about those guys who, who pastor big churches and have radio or TV ministries. Do you realize that as you look across the landscape of the Southern Baptist Convention, 80% plus of our churches run 125 or less? You drive out to a small town that doesn't have a McDonald's or a Starbucks, and what do you find? You find a Southern Baptist church. You find a Baptist church poked over here. Do do you realize that there are more churches, SBC churches in particular, because that's who who we are, there's more SBC churches than McDonald's and Starbucks combined? Do you realize that? Many of the faithful and the most faithful ministers are those who are laboring 40 plus hours a week at their job and then they come into a church on Sunday and they preach to a group of 25 or 40 or 60 who can't afford to pay a full salary. These guys are the real heroes of the convention and the real heroes in the kingdom. These are the ones who go at it, and they're tent makers, and, and, and they're supporting themselves and maybe drawing just a small salary from their church. I've had the opportunity over the last year on behalf of the Missouri Baptist Foundation to teach Financial Peace University to pastors. We've taught it here to our own church, and one of the great joys of my life has been to be able to share this with other pastors. And so... On Thursday, my day off, Thursday morning, I meet with a group of pastors on Zoom. This past year, one of the pastors who in the fall is at one of these smaller rural churches said, I just really am at the place in my life where I believe that God wants me to devote my life full time to the church. And so stepping out in faith after taking financial peace and getting things in line and talking with his wife and praying over things, He jumped in January full-time as a pastor of a small church under great sacrifice. Here's the picture of Epaphras, a faithful 
minister. To me, the faithful aspect is what the Lord really looks at. I, I, I mean, we want to impact people. We want to touch people. We, we would love to, to, to have every church be a big church, but we rec- recognize that the key call of our life is not to look successful from an earthly perspective, but to be faithful to the Almighty God. Now, notice what it says in, in verse number seven. He is a faithful minister of Christ. A faithful minister of Christ. I get the picture there that he's not one of these guys that's going to compromise amid this city, these cities with immorality and idolatry. He's a faithful minister of Christ. He stands for Christ when people accept. He stands for Christ when people reject. He stands for for Christ when people accept the message of the gospel. He stands for Christ when people persecute him because of the gospel. He is a faithful minister of Christ. And then notice what it says. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. On your behalf. He's, he's laboring for you, church at Colossae, church at Hierapolis, church at Laodicea. He's laboring for you. He's, he's going at it in the name of Jesus on your behalf, seeking to impact people for the gospel. But then as we look over to Colossians chapter 4, we see Epaphras, and we get that picture of him laboring fervently for you, in prayer. That third picture of Epaphras is that he is a prayer warrior. And I want us to spend just a few minutes this morning talking and thinking about what does it mean to be a prayer warrior? It is easy for us to be a prayer, occasionally touching base with God, occasionally checking in, But here we get this picture of Epaphras as as one who is really standing with this fervent labor. Many people say, you know, I just don't know what I can do for the Lord. I'm at this time of my life. I'm at that time of my life. I can't do what I used to. Can I challenge you with this thought? No matter who you are, no matter what you were able to do in the past, God has you here now, and you can pray. If you can talk, you can pray. You don't even have to talk out loud. If you just talk to God, and, but, but I encourage you. Moms, dads, grandpas, grandpas, to be somebody who labors fervently in prayer. So I want us to think quickly, and I recognize our kids are in here this week, so I'm going to try to be a little more brief than I typically would. Uh, but I only have this Sunday and next Sunday to preach, and then I'm out of the pulpit for a bunch of weeks. So, you, so I'm going to try really hard. But let's jump in and let's think about what a prayer warrior, uh, the keys are. First off, the key to being a prayer warrior is pray specifically. Notice with me in verse number 12. Epaphras, who is one of you? I, I love that phrase, who is one of you, because Epaphras probably is a native of Colossae. He knows the people in this area. He knows what's going on in their life. He knows what's going on in their family. And because of that, he has insight on how to pray. He, he knows. Parents, when we think about our children, it's not just 
you know, God bless all the missionaries and God bless all of our children. Pray specifically. Pray specifically. Pray specifically for the needs in their life. Pray specifically for your family. Pray for spe- specifically for the friends that you have in your life. Not just bless them, but what is it that God wants us to pray? In 2 Peter chapter 3, 9, we know that if anyone does not know Jesus as their Savior, it says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So our prayer for any person who doesn't know Jesus is that they would come to repentance, that they would come to Jesus Christ as their Savior. That, that's just a, a, a truth from the Scripture that we can derive. But here, Paul is not praying for unbelievers. He has already prayed that God would give them an open door, that he would be able to walk in wisdom, that he would be able to speak the truth of the message of the gospel. He did that earlier in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 in following. But now Paul is saying, this is how Epaphras is praying for the church. Notice with me in Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 12. He, Epaphras greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So, Paul knows their needs. He knows their needs. He knows what's going on in their life. He he knows and understands the struggles that they have. But he also knows what God's will is. He knows and understands what God's desire for their life is. And that is this, that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. What is God's desire? That they would stand, first off, perfect. Paul is praying, or Epaphras is praying for this church that they would stand mature in the will of God. Mature in all the will of God. Now, it's one thing to have said, man, I, I've been at First Baptist St. Charles or in a Baptist church for this number of years. It is easy for people to grow old in church, but not grow up in church. And here he's praying for maturity. He's praying that they would be, the, the, the word is fully developed, that they would have an understanding. Remember how Jesus grew in Luke 2.52? He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And for us, we need to be growing. Some of us have stopped that growing in, in stature part. Most of our stature is growing this way, not this way anymore. But Jesus grew in wisdom. He was learning the truths of God and learning how to apply that to his life. He was growing in favor with God. He was growing in his spiritual life. And he was growing in favor with man. He was growing in his social development. And he was growing in his understanding of man. Now listen again, we we look at this and we think, Jesus, fully God, fully man. What does all of this mean? And it's difficult and challenging to unpack that this baby born in a manger is truly God. I I know that, but the, the picture is, is that Jesus grew wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man, and that's a challenge for us, that we need to grow in maturity. And that just doesn't happen on one hour on a Sunday morning. 
That means that I need to be in the word. That I need to be mature in the faith. Then notice what he says. That that he prays that they would be mature, perfect, and complete. The the word there gives the word of, of assurance. That they would stand assured in all the will of God. That they would stand with this this deep-rooted confidence. Assured that God is who he says he is. That God's word is true. And I can believe it. Think about Colossae. Early 50s, 60s, 70s AD. A place filled with immorality, a place filled with idolatry, a place filled with polytheism. And now you have someone challenge you on why you believe Jesus is the only way. We, we have hundreds of gods. We have lots of temples and lots of idols, and we can do lots of things. What makes you think you're right? I asked the question in 2021. Oh, our culture is shifting. What gives you the assurance that Jesus is the answer and the scripture is true? Just as they needed to grow in maturity and assurance in the first century, we needed in 2021. This is coming through, filling our life with God's word, knowing Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing the word of God. It comes by 2 Timothy 2, 15, studying to show ourselves approved under, uh, under God, a workman that need not be ashamed. Now, think about Epaphras as he prays for the church at Colossae. He could just pray for the rapture. Lord, just take them all. I know some of you are hoping that comes in your lifetime, just like I am. But what about standing against the wind and wave of culture? What you saw last night, physically, as the storm and the winds blew in, We are experiencing that culturally. And we as believers are facing difficult days and difficult winds and a culture that is trying to negate the message of Jesus altogether. This is one of the reasons that we believe it's really important. Our kids went to camp this week and we love camp and we love for kids to have fun, but we want them rooted in the word. We want them to know the truth of who God is. And, you know, helium balloons and, and uh, three-legged races and eating pizza, it's all fun. But it's not going to sustain you through the life of college. That's why we get into the Word. Pray specifically. Secondly, as we think about praying specifically, we also see that he prayed fervently. Notice Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ greets you always, laboring fervently for you. 
That word laboring fervently is the word that we get the word agony from. Agonize. Some, some have, have translated this as, as a picture of wrestling. Now, I know some of you like wrestling. This is not, you know, uh, Hulk Hogan kind of stuff here. I mean, when you look at these Olympic wrestlers or these college wrestlers, and you see the work that they put in to cut weight, and you see the, the energy and the effort and every moment of their day, what they eat, how much they drink, especially as they're working on cutting weight, it all is very essential. And then they get in and they want to, to know their opponent and they labor fervently. These aren't tag teams. You just don't get to go to the side and tag somebody else. You are in the match, and here's the picture that he is laboring fervently for you in prayer. As we think of that laboring fervently, there's, there's two words I want to kind of draw out. First off, he prayed with intensity. Laboring fervently gives that picture of intensity. I mean, he was in it, committed to it, and pouring out his heart to God for them. He was concerned for them. And he knew that God answers prayer. My favorite prayer verse is probably Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I love the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For he who asks is, uh, he, he who asks is going to receive and he who seeks is going to find and he who knocks, the door is going to be open. And then he gives that picture. Which, which of you dads out there? And we speak of Father's Day. If your son asked for a piece of bread, would give him a stone. Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a scorpion. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your child, how much more your Father in heaven can give great gifts? That's the picture. He labored intensely, but also with concern. Notice what it says. We get this picture of concern in that verse number 13. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you. A great concern. Who are you concerned about? Is it reflected in how much you pray? You worry about them. Well, pray for them. You think about them? Maybe that's God's cue to pray for them. Not to be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, letting our requests be made known to God. Praying with concern. Are we praying for those that we love? Dads, moms? Pray with concern. Thirdly, and we'll wrap it up. That third thought is, notice back in verse number 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant, of Christ greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Pray diligently. Always laboring fervently 
for you in prayers. Always. Reminds us of that truth over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 17. Pray without ceasing. He's laboring for you in prayers. And you are on his heart. And because you are on his heart as a church, he's praying. Now let's take a step back for a minute. Epaphras is really overseeing three churches. The church in Colossae, the church in Hierapolis, and the church in Laodicea. And these folks are on his heart, and they're in his mind, and they're lifted before the Father. And he's praying diligently that God would work and move in their life. I wonder today, who is it in your life, in your home, in your family, in your circle of influence, who the Lord would say, I'm not laying three churches on your heart. Maybe it's three people. And I want you to labor fervently for them in prayer. Maybe it's one person. I want you just to pray. I want you to ask me that they, if they don't know Jesus, would come to know Jesus. Grabbing on to 2 Peter 3, 9. If they are a believer, maybe they've gotten off course. Would you pray that God would draw them back so that he could mature them and assure them in the faith? Is there one person? Is there one person that God would say to you, today, I'm throwing you the ball. I want you to pray. And I want you to pray specifically. And I want you to pray with this sense of intensity. And I want you to pray diligently until I tell you not to or until I do a tremendous work. With that, I'm going to stop and let's just pray together. I wonder today, is there somebody on your heart And I'm not going to call anybody out or do anything like that. But I wonder if the Lord's placed maybe one or two or five or a family or several family members. If the Lord's placed somebody on your heart, would you just slip your hand up real quick? And I'm going to, I just want to pray with you. Your hand going up. All right. I'm just going to pray with you. Father, uh, you've seen the hands. You know the, the hearts of every person that's here. And you know their passion and their desire. So, Lord, help us to take that mantle of being a prayer warrior. And for these who are represented by the hands that went up, God, would you move? For those who don't know Jesus, Lord, draw them to your Son. 
and draw them to salvation. For those who are wayward from the truth of the faith, through the precious power of your Holy Spirit, even today, I pray, God, that you would that you would speak to their hearts, bring conviction, bring them back. In the name of Jesus, amen.